And those were extraordinary, exceptional experiences. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 50, Big 50, 5 and today's guest is Steve Goldberg, president and founder of SGG & Associates. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Steve Goldberg. Steve serves as the president of SGG & Associates, a consulting practice focused on global consumer-facing businesses, including retailers, brands, and investors. Steve works on complex issues in business transformation, strategy, organizational reengineering, and customer experience architecture. He serves as an advisor to CEOs, boards, and senior corporate executives. He has served in a senior management role across world-class omni-channel retail and brand organizations such as American Express, Bloomingdale's, and Redcats. Previously, he served as president of the Grayson Company, a global consulting practice serving retailers, brands, manufacturers, and investors. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And, and the one thing that I should tell the listeners that I didn't put in, in Steve's bio is that he is a longtime friend. Um, I thank him for his friendship and for his uh, guidance over the years. And, and I'll tell you, folks, um, some of you that know me um, like to say that I'm a pretty good networker and, and good at staying in touch with people over the years. Uh, Steve is every bit as good as I am and perhaps even better. So, Steve, thank you for that. Thank you, Mark. It's been a great pleasure. And and you have, uh, th this is a special episode. Uh, this is episode number 50. Uh, so I've been at this for a bit. Um, I'm really proud uh, to have been able to uh, interview some great people, including yourself. So welcome to episode 50. Thanks, Mark. Congratulations to you, because uh, it, it is pretty remarkable to have, uh, I think, attracted 50 incredible guests over the course of this uh, podcast series. So congratulations to you. Well, thanks very much. So we're recording this in, uh, you know, early January, I guess the, the 11th of January. Uh, Happy New Year to you and, and your family. I guess it's not too late into the month to, to be able to talk about New Year's. But, you know, are, are you a resolutions guy? Have you set resolutions for the new year? I do. Uh, you know, for a long time, I, I set my my fitness uh, resolution, which I've now completely abandoned, but my resolution really for this year is is about reading. And over the course of COVID, I had uh, hoped to do a lot more reading. Uh, that's that's a resolution, pretty simple one, but uh, one that I really hope to tackle this year. You know, we like to to start these shows by getting you know, the the guest's first story. You know, it's so telling how people are brought up that it oftentimes, you know, foreshadows what they might do in their career. Um, tell the the, uh, the listeners a little bit about, uh, you know, your family and, and growing up. 
Well, like you, I'm a Brooklynite. Uh, I think coming from Brooklyn has a certain influence on the rest of your life and everything you do in many ways. Um, and certainly that was the case for me uh, growing up in Brooklyn. Uh, my family at one point in time had a retail store. It was a Capizio shoe store. And so I was uh, there trying shoes on and, and dance outfits for customers and behind the register as a kid. So that really had a formative uh, effect on me. Uh, and they were also in the furniture business. So that later on came to influence a lot of how I, I looked at the marketplace as well, since I spent a lot of time in factories uh, as a kid. Later on, and probably my first really big formidable experience was being a waiter in the mountains, the Catskill Mountains. Um, and I was a busboy for a year and then a waiter for two more years. And it was an experience straight out of Dirty Dancing, uh, for sure. But it really taught me about uh, hard work. It taught me about service. It taught me about dealing with customers. And it was great fun, too. But it's how I paid for college. So it taught me a lot about value. And it was, it was just an incredible, formidable experience. Oh, my mind going to the years I spent at uh, either summer camp or going with my parents to uh, the hotels in the Catskills. You know, you were the, the poor guy subjected to, what do you mean you ran out of whitefish? You know, <laughs> so that-, that Mr. Must Friedman, been... you want some hot water? <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, I have always found interesting about you. You talk about retail uh, as you know, you've pretty much spent uh, your entire career in the retail space, even in the, in these many years where you've consulted, it's been all about retail. You started uh, on the early days uh, at Amex and you were there for an extended period. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what you were doing at Amex in those days. Well, American express had a, uh, a direct-to-consumer business that was in the form of inserts, really started with, with billing inserts, and it started with bang tails uh, on envelopes and things that were very classic direct mail. Uh, I joined to help broaden that experience. Uh, I worked initially for a really incredible guy, Stan Krangle, who was a, a visionary in that space and built so many of the interesting categories there and worked for Ken Chenault. And I had a the privilege of working under Ken's role there as CEO for a period of time. But very importantly, this was uh, an opportunity to reach a truly uh, stratified audience. We had platinum members and gold card members and green card members and B2B members. Uh, and we sold them everything from apparel to jewelry, to uh, furniture, to computers, uh, to cell phones. And remember, this was when I got there, it was 1987. So some of these categories just simply did not exist in the way we understand them today. And we were literally the second entity that sold PCs in the mail to consumers. Uh, Dell was right there behind us, believe it or not, but our first partner was Radio Shack. Um, we were also the first to sell cell phones in the mail and back in those days, you had to pick the region that you were going to be in so you could set your cell phone to the right setting. Uh, and we sold furniture in the mail. People thought we were crazy because they thought, well, don't you have to sit on that sofa to really make a purchase? And likewise for apparel and diamonds and watches. So we were very early stage 
pioneers in all this, probably the most interesting of the experiences there was converting our inventory position to drop ship. The company felt it really didn't want to have an inventory position in our warehouse in North Carolina. And they threw us the challenge of converting everything to a dropship environment, which of course is how the world lives today for the most part with third party marketplaces. But we were in many ways a, a third party marketplace. And we were dealing with brands like Gucci and, and even Cartier at that time. Uh, and they saw access to our card member as just a tremendous partnership opportunity, which it really was. That's incredible. I, I don't know. I knew you were at Amex. I knew some of the, the work that you were doing there. I, I never really put two and two together that you were, you know, so much a, a pioneer uh, of some of the things that, you know, are so normal to us today, like marketplace or like buying things through the mail. So that that's really interesting. And it, it certainly, you know, lays out the groundwork for a lot of the things that you've done uh, in your career. Uh, you moved from Amex, you went on to Bloomingdale's. Uh, what verticals, categories were you focused on there? Um, I was focused on furniture. I had an opportunity to go back into retail, brick and mortar retail, and worked for Joel and Eve and Mike Gould. Uh, and that was just an extraordinary opportunity because I had the chance to follow uh, on the footsteps of Marvin Traub and, and some of the incredible merchants who were in the furniture area and who had invented the true experiences of the model showrooms. And the model showrooms at Bloomingdale's were world renowned. And I had the opportunity to continue that for a period of time uh, and work with some amazing, amazing merchants there uh, across the business. But our focus was furniture uh, and uh, to some extent, the design studio. Interestingly, Mike asked me to set up the first outlet store for Bloomingdale's. Uh, we didn't have an outlet really for furniture. Uh, Macy's did in, in uh, Garden City. And so we set up in an, uh, in an old store in South Jersey, uh, the first outlet store in Bloomingdale's. And it was the first outlet for furniture for Bloomingdale's. That was really a crazy, but fun experience. But the true experience uh, in, of Bloomingdale's and the lessons of Bloomingdale's uh, then and now were the passion that Mike and Joe brought to dealing and serving customers and providing experience. And it was an incredible, unparalleled experience. These were people who were passionate about the people they work with, passionate about fashion, design, uh, engagement with consumers, and recognition for associates. And those were tremendous lessons learned. You know, so many of us that have been at this for a long time, you know, forget about, you know, some of the history that, you know, we were part of, you know, early in our careers and, you know, all the, the people that are earlier in their careers today kind of just think this stuff has happened. Um, but, you know, there were many before them and, and certainly many before us uh, that were involved in, in crafting some of the things. Um, and, you know, if you talk about kind of these older types of things, you know, our paths crossed at, at both Hanover Direct and, and Red Cats. Uh, for those that are listening that may not know those businesses, um, what, what were Hanover Direct and, and Red Cats? Well, Hanover was a uh, really a consortium of catalog brands, and it were titles like Domestications and Company Store 
and, and a portfolio of many, many different brands. Uh, and interestingly, as you and I experienced, it was really the first large aggregator of all these brands. Uh, and the, the company had the vision to recognize that it needed to create a shared services platform. And so the company built uh, an infrastructure to support that. And it was probably way too early economically to support the expense of it, but the vision of it was brilliant. And it was pure catalog uh, and then emerging into digital. Uh, and the company was very early stage in those technologies and in the vision of having shared services types of platforms. Redcats was uh, uh, not so different. Uh, Redcats was also a consortium, so to speak, of brands and the company, which was uh, a composite of Lane Brandt, Romans, uh, and Chadwick served different constituents. And they served the Missy apparel business through Chadwick's uh, and a more, uh, I would say, sassy customer through learners and plus size business uh, through Lane Bryant. He was highly segmented, very efficient, uh, and we had some incredible throughput through our, our shared services platform there. And Mark, you helped lead the company to another stage in terms of uh, catapulting into the digital world. And I think really catapulting into the science of segmentation. And that was a, an incredible experience as well. Yeah, that was a great run. Uh, you know, the the Red Cats, well, when I was at Hanover with you, I was running marketing for the company store business and somewhat competing with you at domestications. Uh, and that was kind of a, of a fun thing. But the, the company store, you know, was bought at roughly the same time that the company that I was with, Tweeds, was purchased. And, and company store had great product, great creative, very talented people. And we, you know, we grew that business from 40 to $140 million in, in three or four years, which was, you know, amazing. And then at Red Cats, you know, when I was there, uh, to your point, you know, we were, I think we were a billion and a half dollars. We were doing 150 million online across all the brands. And in three short years, because of the catalog driving traffic to the web, we were up you know, close to 400, 450 million dollars. So that that kind of goes into the next you know question about catalogs. We've had these period of time where people think catalogs are going away, they're going away, but we've had these digitally native businesses that you know kind of have hit the ceiling of their growth that they can handle digitally only, and then they started adding in direct mail. So from your perspective, where does direct mail fit in retail today? Well, unfortunately, I think it's it's very limited, you know, with a lot of companies that were pioneers in the direct mail business. You know, if you look at the Williams-Sonoma organization, uh, which has far surpassed, you know, 45, 50% penetration uh, direct to consumer, maybe it's a little more, uh, they had, uh, you know, fantastic array of physical catalogs. Uh, they still have them, it's still important, but you know, they're eclipsed by their prowess in, in true digital marketing. RH, uh, which at the time was called Restoration Hardware, uh, famously introduced what I call their phone books. And those catalogs, for those of you who remember, not so long ago, 
you know, you would have uh, what I would call the brick of six different catalogs, each of which was a phone book uh, in size. And those were extraordinary, exceptional experiences. RH found that they had to pull back uh, for a whole variety of reasons. And I think the sheer cost of producing and mailing uh, catalogs today is, has gotten extremely prohibitive and they're not as nimble in terms of ability to uh, change pricing or change course or pivot. Uh, and those are the limitations. That said, there's still lots of customers who love the experience of getting that catalog in the mail and holding it. And uh, I think earmarking the pages they love and keeping it on the kitchen table. Um, that's an experience by itself. Uh, and one that I think is hard to replicate online because it's very tactile. Uh, but unfortunately, there are a lot of companies that just sim simply seemingly abandon them. Interestingly, over the holiday, I got a number of catalogs, many of them from the Potpourri Group, a couple from 800 Flowers. Uh, and it was really fun to get them and fun to look through them and fun to read them. But there's no question there's a generational divide about those who appreciate that experience. So, you know, you, you've spent so much of your career on the, in the retailer side, on the brand side, and then at a moment in time, you, you made a leap uh, into what I used to call when you moved to the provider side, the dark side, where you were not running the, the brand any longer, but now you were counsel to the brand. So you made this, this leap into consulting. Uh, so tell us why you did that and, and kind of the experience that you had. First, maybe talk about Grayson, and then we'll talk about your current business. Well, it really pre preceded Grayson. Uh, for five years, uh, I was a partner with Ken Rood uh, in his practice, KJR Home. And home sort of belied uh, some of the actual things that we did. We worked with Pantone in intellectual property and licensing. Uh, we worked with Nest in helping them to uh, do fundraising. We worked with Springs Industries. Uh, we had a whole array of brands that were both intellectual property brands and strategic consulting brands, Condé Nast, Diane von Furstenberg, and so forth. We had a great partnership. I then had an opportunity to join Bob Grayson, who had a very successful practice for many, many, many years. And uh, that experience was different because we were working in a different kind of environment, helping uh, a lot of private equity investors assess and do due diligence on potential acquisitions, uh, provide strategic advice to a number of companies, both public and private, and working with some extraordinary international clients that were trying to figure out the U.S. marketplace, uh, both from the standpoint of the consumer, uh, the complexities of entering the marketplace uh, and operating in the U.S. marketplace. Uh, well, then, so then you, you go to Grayson. What kind of problems did, did people come to you uh, looking for a solution? Well, it depended on the, the type of client we were dealing with. For uh, brands, uh, brands were going through, I think, a, a real shift in the marketplace and trying to figure out how they expanded their footprint, first of all, from brick and mortar to digital. And then when you look across brick and mortar and digital, the reality of productivity in brick and mortar environments. And, and some of those decisions were 
were painful decisions because the United States was and is overstored. So we were helping companies rationalize those, uh, those physical footprints and then help rationalize and understand, as you well understand, uh, the science and the triangulation of the physical footprint and the digital footprint. So that was a sector. We helped companies uh, that were investors really understand their targets. And we would visit lots of stores, work with management teams, uh, and just try to uh, pick up the cover and understand what made companies great or problematic uh, and help provide guidance about the viability of those companies. And then for those companies that are trying to scale or outside the US, really understand the fit. The biggest mistake that a lot of companies make, uh, including Canadian companies and trying to come to the United States is assume that it's all the same as their country. Well, it's hardly the case as we know. And one of the most interesting assignments was when we were engaged by a Korean company in the beauty space that had a thousand doors in Korea, highly successful. They wanted to come to the U.S. Uh, who were very self-aware and knew that they really needed to understand the U.S. consumer and the, the competitive marketplace. Uh, and that was a fascinating assignment because we got to visit with them in Korea uh, and through their lenses see the Korean marketplace and retail marketplace and that consumer base. Do you have a direct-to-consumer business? I enjoy connecting with guests on this podcast because it reminds me what I love to do, strategic and tactical consulting for businesses like yours. If you'd like to speak with me about your business and see how you can add a fresh set of eyes to your team, contact me at mark at detailsinteractive.com. Now let's get back to the marketing playbook. And then, you know, we, we start just for establishing timeline. Uh, we, we start the pandemic in February, March of 2020. And at the same time, you start a business, uh, SGG and Associates. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to, uh, to say that I, I participate in that business with you. Thank you for having me as, as part of your, your group. Tell everybody uh, what SGG uh, is and, and the kinds of projects that you're working on today. We're a very non-traditional consulting practice. Uh, you know, the great consulting practices like uh, BCG and McKinsey and so forth have a very defined way of uh, working with clients. Ours is different uh, because we are small and independent and comprised of some really outstanding executives with steeped experience like yours and others. Uh, we can come into companies and very quickly help them with very complex topics like, let's say, for channel development is probably the top of the list of, of issues that companies have today. Uh, if you're a wholesale, wholesale or a manufacturer, you're trying to figure out, well, where do I go now? You can count the number of viable department stores on your right hand. And on your left hand, you have the off-price world. Well, where does that fit with your brand? And what do you need to do in terms of channel, uh, which is a very, very difficult decision. Sometimes it means you're going way outside the guardrails that you would have accepted before by selling a mass brand uh, or being on a marketplace that you would never participate in before. And cascading down, it then means you have to organize uh, your team differently to provide the kind of assets that you may need to participate in a marketplace or in a third party website, which are 
very rigorous demanding requirements from those kinds of partners. So channel development is very, very important. Digital strategy is also important uh, in so many different ways. We're not putting up websites, but we are helping companies really understand what does today's digital world really mean? So if we think about the paradigm of a website versus the social commerce that's really rocketed over the last couple of years, propelled by the pandemic, but propelled by technology, technologies like live streaming are changing the landscape very, very quickly. And you just have to look at, for example, what's happened in China. China this past year will have generated $300 billion in live streaming. Take that, cut that in half because half of that is food. Uh, you still have a gigantic, gigantic uh, platform. In the United States, we're gonna do about 11 billion. So and it's forecast to reach somewhere in the neighborhood of about 25 billion. So when you think about that opportunity and you think about the shift necessary for companies to participate in that, then that requires a different organization structure, a different approach to participating in that, not to mention the considerations of their prior investment in a website. Uh, and what happens with the escalation curve of their own website and everything they've invested in their own website. So complicated topics in the digital world, not to mention the metaverse. What's the metaverse? The metaverse didn't exist in our vocabulary a year ago, and now all of a sudden it's in every possible uh, you read and it is real and it is growing. So that whole topic is a, is a topic we're advising clients on. And lastly, I would say uh, the two things that are quite important are sustainability. We have a sustainability sector practice to help companies understand what does that term actually mean for their company? Do they want to have sustainable product? Do they want to have recyclable product? Do they want to have a sustainable office? What does it really mean for them? And so we help companies really define it for themselves and then lay out a plan for what that means. And finally, organization. Uh, organi people are changing dramatically in the workplace. Uh, expectations for the workplace are changing. We read all about the great movement of people resigning. Well, I think that's less of an issue in the world we're in, Mark. Uh, but that said, everybody in the places that we deal with have different expectations for how they're gonna work. Uh, set COVID aside for just a minute. And so understanding the will and skill sets of contemporary workers, uh, what's required to participate and compete properly is critical. And doing all that in a way that doesn't threaten uh, people who are in their roles, uh, and I call it the velvet hammer, but it, it's, a, it's a delicate art of helping companies reorganize in an environment where paying attention to the needs uh, and, and the contributions of employees is, is more important than ever before. Good stuff. And, you know, being where we are at the beginning of the year, and I think you hit on on some of these, you know, already, you know, there's all these lists that people put out, top this, top that. Um, if you think about the five retail trends that you think businesses have to be most focused on, you know, this coming year that are in the retail space, um, you know, you talked about uh, sustainability as number one, uh, as one of them. 
right? And, and how you're helping folks. You also talked about the metaverse and live stream. So that's two. Give us a few others that, you know, kind of round out the Steve Goldberg top five of retail trends this year. Well, one of them that I've, I've found fascinating, and it's not new, you and I have experienced this over our careers, but it has accelerated enormously, which are collaborations and mashups, as I call them. Uh, so you see brands like Dior and Vibe, you know, just announced this collaboration between Dior and this, uh, this active brand Vibe, uh, Target and Lego. Uh, and Lego, of course, was, uh, you know, a capsule collection. But Gucci and North Face, they've done several collections this year. I can name you 20 sitting here. I won't. But, uh, you know, these collaborations are critically important, strategically important. Why? Because all of these companies are trying to attract new customers. And they're leveraging each other to attract these uh, these new customers. Kohl's and Sephora, you know, is is right there in front of us because it's right on the face of every Kohl's store. Uh, and that is attracting a different customer for Kohl's. And for Sephora, uh, it gives them a partner that's a, a more viable partner than what Penny's was, as an example. Uh, but, you know, there was a crazy one this year, Michael Kors in 007 for the No Time to Die movie. Uh, and Gillette and Bugatti, you know, was a, was also a very cool mashup. So this, these collaborations will continue. It's important to keep them uh, creative. Uh, it's important to know when to bring them on and when to let them go. So I think that's, that's going to be important. You, we've all heard the term experiential retail. Retail has always been about a good customer experience. So that's not new. Uh, and of course, Marvin Traub was the inventor of, of the group, you know, the extraordinary retail experience. But the thirst for consumers who go into a physical environment, the ability to provide something that's distinctive and distinguished uh, and exciting is, is going to be, I think, something that will continue to be important. And so uh, Dix has done a really incredible job of creating two new uh, experiences uh, and brands, uh, which take the whole idea of interactive experience to a new level. RH has, I think, been brilliant in the construct of this new way of looking at furnishing the home. But it's not just furnishing the home, it's a destination. So the, the restaurant collaborations that they have uh, and the designer experience that they provide, you know, all combined to make this an extraordinary customer experience. Uh, and Bloomingdale's, I, you know, I had the chance when I went back into stores this year to see what Bloomingdale's was looking like, and, and they didn't disappoint. They just did a fabulous job of turning that store into this festive, uh, beautiful space uh, and Tony Spring and his team have continued that and expanded upon that really great experience. They took the On brand, which is a trending fitness brand and shoe brand and, and athleisure brand, and they created a incredible shop, shop and shop. And it's that sort of thing that brings the consumer in, makes the consumer feel that they're enveloped in something that is more than just buying a, a product. Yeah, your, your knowledge of, of what's out there has been one of the things as being part of SGG that uh, I think is incredible. You produce something called the SGG Monitor. What, what is that? 
The Monitor is a document that we publish that is a compendium of technology trend, fashion trend. It has uh, very important data points that speak to sentiment uh, and consumer and business sentiment. Uh, and we pull from about 50 data sources. We compile them and we also once a quarter update a market basket of 100 companies with quarterly earnings uh, and sales. And contained in that market basket are clues, I think, to how CEOs are thinking going forward, uh, but also clues in terms of how they're reporting, what their own individual trends are, and what the sector trends are. Uh, we provide this to clients, but we also present it to interested parties that may want to see what we're doing and what the marketplace really looks like. All this is available publicly, of course, but we curate it in a way that makes it uh, understandable to take this vast amount of information, plus some of our own points of view, and put it into this very, very concise type of format. Is other than the SGG monitor, of course, is there, you know, if I'm uh, in the retail space and, you know, could be a listener, are there a few go-to sources, you know, that you just look at uh, religiously that give you some perspective of what's going on in, in retail? Well, I think Axios has expanded their footprint of reporting uh, and they do just a, a great job. Uh, so, uh, and they've created a massive organization. Morning Consult has, you know, a vast array of tops and they touch on consumer and retail quite a bit also. And then there's Warren Schulberg, who has been a dean of reporting for decades and is maybe one of the industry's uh, best voices of reporting, particularly on the home. Uh, and so I re religiously read Warren's writings in Forbes and other places. And, um, you know, his insights are, are always spectacular. Good stuff. Thanks for sharing. This is really interesting. You know, I, I've learned a lot from you, not only today, but, uh, you know, participating in, in conversations with you and your team. Uh, you've obviously got lots of uh, retail experience and, and you know, I, I think you've taken that retail experience and, and brought it up to present day and how it potentially impacts, you know, retailers improving uh, their capabilities for consumers. So thanks for that. Uh, we, we take this uh, show towards the end. We do a two-minute drill, uh, kind of keeping with the marketing playbook sports theme. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. A brand that you admire or that inspires you? Apple. Favorite app on your phone? Pigeon. All right. Well, that can't go without me asking, what is Pigeon? <laughs> Pigeon is an interactive sports app and it allows me to play uh, games with my grandkids. Ah, okay. That's one that I did not know. I'm going to have to check that out. The last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? Goldbelly. Food for your grandchildren? Food for friends, food for everybody. <laughs> All right. That's good. Something that you're not good at, but that you wish that you were? Cooking. Hence the purchasing from Goldbelly. You didn't want to fess up. It's really for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a charitable organization that you're passionate about. St. Jude. Um, if you had one superpower, what would it be? See into the future. Okay. And then other than family, what's your most prized possession? 
I have a memorabilia collection. Uh, you'll appreciate this, Mark, because I've got this collection of political buttons, but sport buttons that go back, baseball sport buttons, that go back to the turn of the century, the last century. So 1910, 1915. Yeah, that's that's a fun thing to have. Oh, wow. That's a new thing. I, I did not know about you. That's uh, that must be good. You'll have to send some pictures sometime. So, um, uh, Steve, uh, you have so much to share. Where can people reach out to you on social media? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. So there you go. Steve, thank you so much for great insights today. I appreciate uh, you participating in episode 50. Uh, look forward to seeing you soon and uh, good health to you and your family. Thank you. Same to you, Mark. Congratulations. And thank you for your friendship. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Steve Goldberg for coming on the marketing playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, if you're currently selling in one geographic market and you strive to sell in others, one of the first things to recognize is that not all markets are the same. You need to do your homework so you can understand the consumer and the competitive marketplace that you're entering. Consultants can be of help, and there's also so much readily available information from others that have preceded you and the business associations in those new markets. Number two, we asked Steve about his top five retail things to watch in 2022. So our second takeaway is that there's plenty to be watching. We heard about the potential importance, if your business warrants it, of live streaming. If you want to live stream and sell to customers, you must understand the infrastructure required and the organizational changes you'll need to be successful. And number three, Steve spoke about two others, so I'll give you two for the price of one. Sustainability. Figure out how your company can do its part to save our environment. Companies are launching significant programs to offer resale of products, using recycled products, or improving how they run their offices. How will you help? And he spoke about collaborations companies partnering to drive new customers and enhance their brand awareness. These relationships are not going away anytime soon, so figure out how to best take advantage for your business. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details.